Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Ujima Spirit Podcast. I am your host, Tika Taylor. Today's topic is eliminating guilt and shame. Where do we start this conversation about guilt and shame? Let's go back to the beginning to our childhood. This is the stage where we learned our basic family values, social norms, and moral codes. We are taught by our parents, guardians, or other family members what is socially acceptable, appropriate, or normal. We are given a set of standards and guidelines. We are expected to live according to these rules. When we comply and behave as expected, usually we are rewarded with praise, acceptance, inclusion, and positive emotional reaction. If we are stubborn and refuse to be molded, then we meet resistance. We are not given the right to venture outside the standards of behaviors established by our parents. We are conditioned to obey and follow the script. If not, we're faced with punishment in the form of disapproval, rejection, isolation, deprivation, or restrictions. It's understandable that as children, we must be taught what is right and wrong. There's a great benefit in having children who are mannerable, disciplined, loving, well-behaved, respectful, good-hearted, hard-working, and smart. Obviously, these good qualities and characteristics are needed to produce good future adults. However, most parents don't encourage their children to develop critical thinking skills and understand how to analyze information. Instead, they are taught blind obedience to authority and how to follow orders without questioning. A child should feel comfortable in asking a parent questions about the rules and get an understanding of what is being taught. As part of receiving these instructions on how to behave appropriately, our parents or families also provide us with religious ideologies and beliefs that governs our path. These religious doctrines teach what is morally acceptable and appropriate. We are given religious laws to follow. Some of them are practical and doable, while others seem impossible to achieve. If we fail to live by these rules, we commit a sin. A sin is considered to be an immoral act, a transgression against divine law. A sin is the violation of God's law according to biblical text. Just like with our parents, there are consequences that come with disobeying these religious codes of conduct. We prepare ourselves to experience the wrath of God after we sin. Believers assume that God will provide punishment for not following his divine laws. 
This can be in the form of sickness, withdrawing love and support, rejection, deprivation of blessing, curse, or death. How can believers avoid sinning when there's so many ways to sin according to religious doctrines? Let's discuss these sins. We have sins of attitude, sins of action, sins of neglect, and sins of intent. Now, sins of attitude includes envy, unjust anger, bitterness, false pride, and malicious hatred. Sin of action is anything that goes against God's commandment, such as murder, rape, stealing, drunkenness, adultery, fornication, and etc. Sins of neglect includes failure to follow God's instructions. Example, feeding the hungry, visiting the sick, helping the needy, etc. And the last one, sins of intent includes a person committing a sin with just a thought, wish, or desire. A person's intention to commit a sin becomes a sin, even if the act is not committed. Now, there are seven deadly sins known as the seven capital sins or seven carnal sins in Roman Catholic theology. We have pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, anger, and sloth. There are seven corresponding virtues, humility, charity, chastity, gratitude, temperance, patience, and diligence. Other religions have their own classification of rules and regulations to follow. Any violation of these standards constitutes a sinful act. Now, let's venture to the society and cultural moral codes that are taught to us by the environment we live in. Every race, ethnicity, or nationality have their own unique set of moral codes. Even though these rules are different, they have some similarities. However, there's a universal moral code called moral universalism or moral objectivism. These moral laws are against any act that cause harm to people or disrupt the healthy functioning of society. The law prohibits murder, enslavement, oppression, rape, theft, and etc. These laws are not based on society's preference, opinion, or desire, but they're derived from the laws of nature. Again, each society has its own cultural laws that governs the community activities. The Africans, Asians, Indians, Aborigines, and Europeans each have their own cultural laws. These laws were used to establish their civilization, cultural, tradition, and custom. The Africans in ancient times had laws against the practice of homosexuality, incest, 
cannibalism, bestiology, and murder. There's no known law in the African continent that promoted, sanctioned, or condoned these behaviors. Some individuals may have committed these acts, but it was not approved by the cultural moral codes. The African Egyptians followed the principles of Ma'at as part of their spiritual beliefs. There are seven principles of Ma'at. Truth, balance, order, harmony, righteousness, morality, and justice. It was expected for the Pharaoh royal family and members of the community to practice these principles of Ma'at. There were consequences for the people who chose not to practice this African spiritual belief. If they did not live a righteous life, after death they would face judgment. Their hearts would be weighed against the feather of Ma'at. If the soul's heart was burdened with sin and evil, it would not be allowed to enter paradise, but be eaten by a monster with a crocodile head. The deceased had to repeat the 42 laws of Ma'at, known as the 42 Affirmative Declarations, which states, I have not committed sin. I have not committed robbery with violence. I have not stolen I have not slain man or woman. I have not told lies. I have not cursed. I have not made anyone cry. I have not assaulted anyone. I am not deceitful. I have not falsely accused anyone. I have not polluted myself. I have not terrorized anyone. I have not disobeyed the law. I have not behaved with violence. I have not caused disruption of peace. I have not worked evil. I have not polluted the water. I have not stolen from or disrespect the deceased. I have not used evil thoughts, words, or deeds. I have not seduced anyone's wife. I have not been angry without reason. In other religions, Christianity or Catholicism, people are told what not to do. Thou shall not. In African spirituality, the individual takes personal responsibility for his or her action and confess not taking part or committing any offensive behaviors. Overall, each individual is expected to adhere or abide by their family values, cultural values, societal values, religious values, and personal values. All of these moral values create the foundation for our conscious. Conscious is defined as an inner feeling or voice viewed as acting as a guide to the rightness or wrongness of one's behavior. This conscience becomes the moral compass we use to 
judge if something is good or bad. This internalized set of values help guide us to make good choices and behave in a responsible way. Having a good moral compass help you establish and maintain your identity. You know who you are and what you stand for. You know your personal values and use them to ground yourself. Kindness, responsibility, dignity, integrity, justice, family first, and so on. Make a commitment to your moral values to keep the greater good in mind when making your decisions. Feel empowered to act according to your values. Now, there are actually seven different types of conscious. We have correct conscious, which tells us when something is a good choice or a bad choice. We have erroneous conscious, judges something incorrectly when something is bad you think it's good and when it's good you think it's bad this can cause can, this can be caused by ignorance or immaturity certain conscious convince without any doubt that an action is good or bad doubtful conscious when you cannot choose between good and bad choices Lack conscious, when you see there's no problem with making a bad choice. Not making a decision based on good morals, but on convenience, mood, or circumstance. Overall, there are basically two types of categories for the state of your conscious. Good conscious and bad conscious. Good conscious, doing the right thing by upholding your moral codes. Bad conscious, doing the wrong thing by violating your moral code. These phases are used when someone is willing to do the right thing. Okay, the phases are in good conscious, in good conscious, in all conscious, in conscious. Okay, let's review them again. Okay, when someone's intention is to do something that is right, they can use one of these phases. They can say, in all conscious, in good conscious, in conscious. Your conscious is a built-in alarm that tells you what's right and wrong. Again, we get our values from different sources, family, society, culture, religion, experience, and other. Sometimes there may be a conflict in these moral values. When your personal values contradict the cultural values, it becomes a problem. When your religious values are in direct opposition with the societal values, that causes an issue. Whenever there's any contradiction with any of your values, you may experience an emotional and mental reaction. You may become self-conscious of this problem and experience negative social or moral emotions. The two emotions expressed 
when there's a moral issue are shame and guilt. Shame and guilt are negative feelings caused by violating moral codes, cultural or social values. Guilt and shame are related, but they are different in many ways. Feelings of shame are triggered by external sources and it causes you to have a negative perception of yourself, damaging your self-image. Shame is caused by other people's negative thoughts of you. This can come from a real or imaginary perceived offense. Guilt is when someone feels responsible or regretful for a perceived or real action. Guilt is focused on one's thoughts and actions. Shame is about feelings towards oneself as a person. Feeling guilt or shame is not necessarily a bad thing. There are many benefits to experiencing these emotions. Now, we're going to discuss some of these benefits. Make you more self-aware of your thoughts, actions, decisions, and behavior. Okay? Shame and guilt okay, can bring to your awareness something is wrong or off balance. Signals there's an internal conflict or contradiction. There's a reminder of your moral codes and values and reinforce them. Exercise necessary restraints to avoid making bad decisions or wrong moves. Practice empathy. Put yourself in other people's position, especially the one who's negatively impacted by your action. Apologize, the act of expressing regret or remorse for wrongdoing. Demonstrate regret and sorrow for bad behavior. Make amends, compensate, or make up for wrongdoing. Take personal responsibility for behavior. Learn valuable life lessons. Encourage repair of valuable relationships that were damaged or destroyed. Discourage any future acts of repeating this negative behavior. These are some of the positive things that emerge from shame and guilt being used to help society maintain a healthy balance, prevent or reduce crimes and other negative behaviors, encourage peace, justice, and equality. But if shame and guilt are used to manipulate, control, and intimidate members of society for selfish purposes, this can create a major problem. Unfortunately, we do live in a guilt culture and shame society. Our society continuously reinforce, promote, and condone these negative emotions, guilt, and shame for the benefit of the governing elite body. The focus is not on teaching moral values for society's elevation and spiritual progression. They primarily focus on making laws and inflicting punishment. 
The priority is not raising consciousness, making more people morally responsible members of society, or maintaining a peaceful, humane environment. This guilt culture and shame society is pushing fear. Do the right thing because it's the right thing to do is not their motto. Do the right thing so you won't be shamed or be punished, deprived, isolated, ridiculed, or condemned. Most people are not obeying the law or moral codes because they understand the purpose of having a better quality life. They fear being shamed and punished. People are psychologically conditioned to avoid shame, distress, and stress at all costs. They are willing to risk their physical safety, freedom, life, and health to avoid being shamed and ridiculed. They don't want to get caught violating the law or moral code because of the social consequences involved. Overall, this moralist society is hypocritical. It process or it pretends to be a moral place, but the reality depicts a totally different story. Let me say it again. It pretends, this society pretends to be a moral place, but the reality depicts a totally different story. A society that states thou shall not murder while killing its own citizen by very means such as war, police brutality, capital punishment, abortion, racial violence, poverty, poisonous foods, dangerous medications, chemical and biological warfare, environmental pollution, drug and alcohol addiction, and political corruption all are prevalent. So if this society claims to be a moral society, a righteous society, a society with values, there's a big contradiction. That same society is promoting and condoning all type of violent acts. Okay? The same society glorifies and promotes the seven deadly sins. It promotes violence, hatred, separation, discrimination, suffering, deprivation, incarceration, materialism, promiscuity, and all the negative vices. Yet, when the masses engage in these negative and destructive activities, they are shamed, blamed, and ridiculed for doing so publicly. This is the guilt culture and shame society at work. Society capitalizes off individuals who are emotionally and mentally manipulated to participate in certain negative behaviors. Now an entire industry is created and sustained to address these man-made problems that are the result of immoral behaviors. In other words, we have industries that were created specifically 
to deal with immoral behavior. Okay, let's look at some of these industries. We have the prison industrial complex, a billion dollar industry. We have the military complex. It promotes war and violence, murder and killing. All right, it's a billion dollar industry. We have the mental health industry. We got the foster care system, the drug and alcohol treatment centers. We have rape centers, hospitals, criminal justice system, adoption system, family court, child support enforcement office, juvenile detention centers, nursing homes, domestic violence shelters, and homeless programs. All these programs are for issues that arise from immoral behaviors. Now, these negative behaviors are not happening in isolation. They are part of a cultural value system. We live in a culture where anything goes in terms of belief, emotion, and action. The entertainment industry and social media shows people doing negative things without any consequences. So people are influenced to do the same things. The difference is, in real life, there are real consequences. This same society that allows this destructive behavior to be promoted, they turn around and then refuse to take responsibility for contributing to influencing vulnerable people. Instead, they impose self-blame. Now, self-blame is a cognitive process in which an individual attributes the occurrence of a stressful event to oneself. Okay? Self-blame. An individual is going to blame themselves for things that are happening around them that they are not involved in, that they have no control over, that they didn't even create. Yes, individuals should take personal responsibilities for their own behaviors. Yet the society has to take responsibility for creating an unhealthy and toxic culture that normalizes deviant and dysfunctional behavior. Instead, guilt culture blames people for following the current trends fads and lifestyle traps laid out to manipulate their behavior. This is called self-blame. Individuals misled, deceived, and influenced by advertisement, entertainment celebrities social media personalities, television characters, and religious figures are blaming themselves for their poor choices or bad decisions without acknowledging how environmental factors influence them. Because people who violate societal codes and moral values feel guilty or ashamed of their choices, it's easier for them to engage in self-blame. Other negative elements accompanying self-blame are self-disgust, and self-contempt. People who feel guilty or ashamed usually feel helpless, hopeless, and powerless. 
They blame their choices for the negative occurrence in their lives. Sometimes the factors that led the undesirable outcomes were uncontrollable and unavoidable. Yet society in some ways make it seem as if it's the person's fault for going through an experience, situation, or circumstance that was beyond their control. There are societal issues that contribute to these conditions, yet the individual is blamed or made to feel guilty for becoming the victim of societal circumstances, conspiracy, negligence, experiments, or greed. In a guilty society, Guilt is not placed on the government, politicians, institutions, bureaucrats, corporations, capitalists, or persons responsible for creating the conditions that laid the foundation for some societal problems to exist. Instead, they blame the victims of these circumstances for experiencing the man-made problems. Let's look at the definition of the word victim, okay? One that is harmed, killed, injured, subjected to oppression, deceived or otherwise adversely affected by someone or something, especially another person or event, force or condition. One who is harmed or killed by an accident or illness. One who is harmed or killed as a result of other people's bias, emotions, or incompetence. One who is harmed or killed as a result of a natural or man-made disaster or impersonal condition. A person who is tricked, swindled, or taken advantage of. We have many categories of victimization. Victim of war victim of crimes, victims of natural disaster, victims of an epidemic, victims of poverty, victim of greed, victim of hatred, victim of violence, victim of a host, victim of experiments, victim of neglect, victim of oppression, victim of persecution, victim of tyranny, and victim of fraud. Based on the definition of the word victim, it's easy to see how millions of people are being victimized in so many ways but are not aware of it. People are blamed and made to feel guilty, even ashamed of experiencing a range of societal induced experiences that are out of their control. Yes, there are cases where individuals may have contributed to these circumstances, but society is still partially or entirely responsible for the causes of these problems. Okay, let's discuss some of the problems in society that people are blamed for, okay? Let's discuss medical conditions, okay? People are blamed for their medical conditions. They have heart disease, communicable disease, sexually transmitted disease, obesity, being overweight, diabetes, HIV, AIDS, herpes, hepatitis, allergies, and cancer. Some of these diseases are lifestyle influenced, but 
society places the entire blame on the sufferer. They make it a moral issue instead of a medical problem. People who are victims of medical conditions are held responsible for acquiring the disease. They are judged to be irresponsible, morally bankrupt, promiscuous, lazy, or bad people for something that was totally out of their control. Because of the victim's action or reaction, they are stigmatized. To be stigmatized means described or regarded as worthy of disgrace or great disapproval. People who have certain medical conditions are victims of social stigma. They can be discriminated against, deprived of social privilege, denied their civil or human rights, prevented from accessing benefits, or rejected as individuals. There are other areas where people are stigmatized as well. We're going to discuss some of the areas that people are stigmatized. Economic situations. People who are underemployed, unemployed, economically unstable, or experiences financial difficulties. Mental health problems. People who have mental health problems such as schizophrenia, bipolar, depression, phobias, anxiety, or psychosis. Drug and alcohol addiction. People who are addicted to different drugs. Heroin, marijuana, cocaine, cigarettes, alcohol. Family problems. People who experience family problems are stigmatized, such as domestic violence, divorce, separation, juvenile delinquency, single parent, out-of-wedlock pregnancy, teenage pregnancy, and child custody. Education. Lack of education. People who are illiterate. High school dropout. Interpersonal issues. People who have poor communication skills, antisocial, shy, or they have different personality types. Race. People who are black, of African descent, persons of color, indigenous people, people who are classified as non-white. Sometimes they are stigmatized. Gender. Okay, so people who have the female gender or the male gender can be stigmatized or the culture that you're from. You could be stigmatized because of your culture. Now, obviously, some people are born with medical conditions while others acquire them. This can happen to anyone at any time. But in a guilt society, okay, it's easier to blame individuals instead of focusing on treatment, cure, or the cause of the problem. Yes, we can address preventive measures to decrease the spread of the disease without shaming and blaming the victim of the disease. This same concept can be applied to victims of any other category, circumstances, or situation. Generally speaking, stigmatizing individuals who are victims is re-victimizing them again. People who are stigmatized are stereotyped and face prejudice. They eventually lose their individual identity and a social identity is imposed on them. They are assigned negative characteristics or attributes that gives them a bad reputation. 
these stigmatized individuals become social outcasts. This is a mechanism of control in a guilt culture. They can define people as undesirable and devalue them in order to keep everyone else in control. So anyone outside this stigmatized group who don't want to experience similar treatment will conform, adhere, and submit to society's expectations and demands. People who are associated, connected, or identify with this outcast group can experience collective guilt. I'm going to say it again. They experience collective guilt. When one person from a group commits an offense, violates a law, or does something wrong, then the whole group is blamed and made to feel guilty. Example, if a person got an STD while being promiscuous, everyone who comes into contact with someone who has an STD and becomes infected are made to feel guilty for being promiscuous when they didn't engage in any promiscuous behavior. If a person on welfare or public assistance is lazy and don't want to work, now everyone who is receiving welfare or public benefit is made to feel guilty even though they're not lazy. There are many other examples of collective guilt. We have religious guilt. Religious guilt is all religious people are held responsible for the crimes committed by other religious extremists within their religion. We have nationality guilt. Every citizen of a country is held responsible for a crime or wrongdoing of the government or other citizens. We have racial or ethnic guilt. Everyone from this race or ethnicity is held responsible for the action of a few others within their race or ethnicity. We have gender-based guilt. Everyone from this gender is stereotyped to behave in an offensive manner. Now, example of of a gender-biased guilt, we have the Me Too movement. All men were viewed as perpetrators of sexual assault, violence, or rape because of a few men who victimized some some celebrity women. Now, for the racial guilt, we can give example of white guilt. Okay? White guilt. All whites are held responsible for racism, slavery, and discrimination against blacks, Africans, and other indigenous people. Okay? So we just reviewed all the other forms of guilt. All the other forms of guilt. Now, let's continue. We have black guilt. All black people are held responsible for the crimes, misdeeds, or wrongs of individual blacks. Okay? Members of these collective groups are not seen as individuals, but lumped as one unit. People feel depressed, guilty, 
responsible, apologetic, and ashamed for belonging to this group. Member of these groups have to constantly prove themselves to be innocent of worth. I'm going to repeat that. Members of these groups have to constantly prove themselves to be innocent or worthy. Some people use activism as a way to relieve the guilt by educating others of what's going on in order to change the narrative, even if they didn't personally cause or create any problems. Now, for example, for the gender guilt, men proving, they have to prove all men are not sexist and teach other men to be more sensitive to women's issues. For the for the racial ethnic guilt, white people proving all whites are not racist by promoting equality and justice. Black people proving all blacks are not ignorant or inferior by becoming more educated and progressive. Religious people proving all religious people are not terrorists or extremists by being accepting, more loving, and non-judgmental. Women proving all women are not promiscuous and materialistic by becoming more conservative and self-sufficient. Okay, these are some examples of people who have collective guilt because they belong to these groups who are blamed for things, who are accused of things. So now they feel like they have to engage in some type of activism in order for them to prove that what is said of them or the stereotype is not true. Now, individuals who engage in collective guilt can sometimes be manipulated by others using a guilt trip. Now, what is a guilt trip? A guilt trip is a feeling of guilt or responsibility, especially an unjustified one induced by someone else. A guilt trip is a form of psychological manipulation, intimidation, and coercion. Unfortunately, guilt trips are used as a type of communication to control other people's behavior. In other words, people like to induce or provoke guilt to have their way. Usually, guilt inducers are involved in a relationship with the person they're trying to manipulate. It could be a romantic relationship, platonic friendship, family, or professional association. Guilt tripping is a weapon that is used to have a person conform to an individual's expectations and desires. It can be very effective in achieving the goal of making the other person feel guilty, responsible, or bad for something they didn't do. This can create feelings of shame, resentment, anger, and frustration. Individuals feel a sense of obligation or duty to comply with the guilt inducer's demands because they don't want to disappoint or hurt them. Guilt inducers play on other individuals' vulnerabilities, low self-esteem, insecurities, fears, or doubt. Because of these negative states, some people will comply with the manipulator's request in order to avoid consequences or to gain their approval. 
Guilt can be used as a motivating factor to make positive changes. However, if an individual is being manipulated, coerced, or deceived, there can be conflicting reactions. These individuals with externally induced guilt are sometimes used as scapegoats. A scapegoat is a person who is blamed for the wrongdoing, mistakes, or faults of others, especially for reasons of... whatever the reason is that they want, okay? A scapegoat could also be a group entity, religion, organization, or business. When individuals don't understand a situation or they are in denial about the cause of the problem, it becomes easy for them to find someone else to blame. Some examples of scapegoating. Children using their parents as a scapegoat for all their problems. They blame their parents for not accomplishing certain goals, for not having a certain lifestyle. In reality, you know, their parents are not to blame. The children are the one not taking responsibility and not doing what they're supposed to do. Another example of scapegoating is politicians using group as a scapegoat for a failed project or promise. In reality, the group had nothing to do with it. The the politician failed to do whatever it is that they needed to do to make sure that this program would succeed. Government using businesses as a scapegoat for a bad economy. Okay, in reality, the government failed. It wasn't the businesses that failed, but it was the government. Teachers using the school board as a scapegoat for students failing their grades. In reality, the teachers are probably bad. They're not teaching the children properly. Instead of taking personal responsibility, they're blaming the school board. They're using school board as a scapegoat. A racist person using minority groups as a scapegoat for declining property values. A wife using her husband as a scapegoat for losing her job. Men using women as a scapegoat for high unemployment rates. The people who are victims of scapegoating are guilt-tripped and can experience collective guilt. This can lead to oppression, discrimination, exploitation, depression, and isolation. Sometimes governments or individuals can create propaganda to target a specific group for scapegoating. Also, some people who are scapegoat can be given the title of being a black sheep. A black sheep is someone who does not fit in with the rest of a group and is often considered to be a troublemaker or an embarrassment. These individuals labeled a black sheep are not considered to be as valuable, worthy, or important compared to other people who are part of a group, family, or organization. Obviously, these individuals are rejected and treated as an outcast of society. They are guilt-tripped into having a certain way or going along with a particular agenda. They are made to feel ashamed and responsible for the wrongs or problems that are not their fault. We live in a society that judge people by their associations or companionship. 
Some people, some people may not be guilty of a crime or an offense, but because they are associated with individuals who have engaged in these activities, automatically they are judged by the company they keep. This is called guilt by association. Even though a person is innocent of any wrongdoing, they are considered guilty by association. Now, some example. If your brother is a gang member, some people will automatically assume you are one too. Guilty by association. If your best friend is sexually promiscuous, okay, you may be assumed to be sexually promiscuous as well. If you are part of a religious group that speak against female empowerment, it would be assumed you are in alignment with this belief. If you attend meetings with arrogant people, some people would think that you're also what? Arrogant. In a guilt-based society, guilt is normal part of everyday reality. Again, in a guilt-based society, guilt is a normal part of everyday reality. People are not feeling guilty for legitimate concerns, such as violating the laws of nature, causing harm to others, disrupting the balance, or stopping progress of humanity. People are feeling guilty for things, events, situations, or conditions that are outside of their control. For example, there's the savior guilt. Most people probably don't think about this concept. It is, it is a mental condition that occurs when a person believes they have done something wrong by surviving a traumatic or tragic event when others did not. Okay? A survivor's guilt. It's not a savior, but a survivor's guilt. Okay, I'm going to repeat. Survivor guilt. Most people probably don't think about this concept. It is a mental condition that occurs when a person believes they have done something wrong by surviving a traumatic or, or tragic event when others did not. Often feeling self-guilt. Example, people who survive accidents, mass shootings, war, terrorist attacks, natural disasters, job layoff, adoptions, human trafficking, genocide. Survivors feel guilty about staying alive while others die. Blame themselves for the death of others. They feel guilty about things they did or failed to do. These individuals are feeling guilty about things they have no control over. Past events that can't be changed. So why beat themselves up for it? Occupational guilt. Okay. Let's discuss occupational guilt. When professional workers feel guilty for not saving or helping a client to avoid a tragic situation. Example, a therapist who could not prevent the progression of depression or other mental illness in her patient. Doctors who could not stop a patient from dying or getting worse. A police officer who could not prevent a rape from happening. A general who could not stop the soldiers from being ambushed. Okay, these are occupational guilt. 
Now, productivity guilt. Productivity guilt. When a person feels bad or guilty for not performing at a higher standard, completing tasks on time, mastering a skill, or accomplishing a goal. We have people who strive to obtain perfection in many areas of life, their health, fitness, appearance, family, relationship, or profession. But they are unrealistic about the goals they are setting. When it becomes difficult or impossible to attain, they feel guilty. As crazy as it may be, we have guilty pleasures. Something that one enjoys despite understanding it is not generally held in high regard or is seen as unusual or weird. The activity or thing that is enjoyed would be considered a taboo or embarrassing if others found out about it. People feel bad or shame for indulging in this behavior but don't want to give it up. Examples of some guilty activities include food, sex, movies, sports, stealing, gossiping, lying, or playing games. Based on this society's unrealistic expectation, any normal activity or behavior can cause guilt. People are prone to develop a guilt complex. Guilt complex is defined as a strong feeling of guilt often present, whether or not you're responsible for the wrongs or inadequacies. Feeling guilty have physical and emotional symptoms. You can have headaches, worry, muscle pain, nausea, tearfulness, insomnia, and fatigue. There are different situations that produce guilt. Okay, we're going to briefly talk about the different situations that cause guilt before we conclude. Okay, we have the wrongful action. Okay, a person feels guilty when they realize the consequences of their wrongful actions go against their moral values, principles, or standards. They feel guilty when they break a promise to others or to themselves. This is a normal response to doing something wrong that hurt yourself or others. Now, the solution to address guilty feelings, accept responsibility, apologize, and prevent repeating this behavior again. Guilty thoughts. It's another situation that produces guilt. Sometimes negative thoughts can cause guilt even though the person doesn't act on it. Just the thought of breaking your moral code can lead to guilt. Example, thought of something like cheating, harming others, stealing, or lying. Just the thought can produce guilt. Solution, acknowledge the guilt provoking thoughts and find out why you're experiencing them. Make plans to change these negative thoughts. Choose positive thoughts to replace them. Engage in positive, healthy activities to help clear your mind. False guilt. Believing you did something wrong even when nothing happened. The mind convinces itself that something bad took place and produce illogical or irrational thoughts. This can be done to distort your memory. Okay, Or this can be done 
by a distorted memory or taking blame for something that wasn't your fault. Solution, analyze yourself, see where this false guilt originated, search your mind to see if it's imaginary or real. If it's irrational, let the false guilt go and move on to more positive thoughts. Compassion guilt. Feeling guilty for being unable to provide continued support for someone who experienced a trauma, loss, or tragedy. Example, caring for a sick friend, but you're burnt out and experiencing compassion fatigue. Because you have to care for yourself and meet your obligations, you can no longer provide the same level of care. Solution, taking care of yourself is the priority before you can give support to others. Do the best you can under the situation and get help. There are different situations that produce guilt. We just discussed all the different situations that can produce guilt. Now let's wrap it up, okay? Let's wrap it up. Guilt can be placed in two categories, healthy guilt, unhealthy guilt. Again, healthy guilt and unhealthy guilt. Healthy guilt is necessary to help you recognize something is wrong and your action is needed to correct it. Acknowledge wrong, make amends, change your negative behavior, take responsibility for your faults. Unhealthy guilt. Feeling guilty for something something that is not real, imagined, or something that is outside your control. Understand what is real. Look at your moral values or standard to see if it's realistic. Look for the good that may come out of your situation. Okay? Have positive affirmations. Don't allow anyone to guilt trip you in any way. Remember, everything is not always your fault. You have to think for yourself to see the consequences of your action. You have the power to make better choices and change your situation. Okay? Again, guilt and shame. We live in a guilt and shame culture. So we really have to be careful for us not to have unhealthy guilt. Okay? Unhealthy guilt is not good because it causes a lot of stress, distress, frustration, anger, regret, remorse, pain, and suffering for no reason because it's not necessary. Healthy guilt is good. It helps us recognize when we're doing something wrong and to have a course of action to address it. Thank you for listening.